Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran composer and arranger Mark Masters. He opened up about his latest 2021 CD, Masters and Baron Meat, Blanton and Webster. He hired Duke Ellington Orchestra veteran Art Baron to reimagine the music of the iconic band leader's most revered era, transforming Ellington's classics through a contemporary lens with special guest trumpeter Tim Hagens. Mark stands as one of the great jazz arrangers of the last few decades and formed his first ensemble way back in 1982. He talked about his life in jazz and his nonprofit American Jazz Institute, along with a little bit more. Enjoy. Everything is good. Good, man. Thanks for taking a minute for Neon Jazz today. I appreciate it. No problem. Glad to do it. So, you know, of all of these projects that you get the chance to do, you know, it always seems like such a good time. But this one, in particular, having somebody from the Ellington Band has to be, had to have been a wonderful experience to reimagine all of these classics. Well, yeah, Joe, uh, um, uh, Art is, um, you know, I first, I knew about Art. I first encountered him musically, the... uh, nonprofit that I run, the American Jazz Institute, we did an Ellington oral history interview program with almost all the surviving members who had either sung or played with Ellington, and we did that in uh, 2004. And, you know, one thing led to another, and Art and I I stayed in contact, and I'm, you know, I'm always contemplating uh, different projects you know there's no shortage of ideas it's all arithmetic and i finally wrote all this stuff and had art in mind and it just all fell into place what did you learn about ellington you know that's the thing that about music and just in general you always learn new things as you revisit what did you learn about ellington what did you learn about the process that goes into making these musics that are that are really a timeless entity in the world of jazz. Wow, what did I learn? Um, first of all, I'm, I'm always trying to learn new things. I, I never want to make the same record twice. You know, I, I tried to, well, putting art first and foremost, and I just wanted to fashion settings for him that would allow him just to do what he does. I learned about I don't know, nothing specific, but I'd kind of been heading in the direction, maybe a less dense type orchestration. Um, you know, and in a large ensemble, the the, um, the tendency is to use everything a lot of the time instead of uh, thinning out and maybe, for instance, instead of using all six brass, I would write for four brass, write for... Uh, four saxes or three saxes with a trombone or with a trumpet. Uh, and that certainly isn't new. It's, um, you know, a, a cross-section writing is one way of putting it. You know, and the one thing, too, is you're releasing it during a very strange time. I and mean, we're still getting on the other side of COVID, but it's really one of probably the only few ways that musicians have had the chance to communicate with their fans. What are your thoughts on this kind of jubilant music coming out during this particularly trying, challenging time on the planet. That's another good one. Um, you know, I don't, um, uh, I mean, the music, obviously, it's, it's not just this, but all the music that's coming out, is it, it, it's good for people to be hearing new things uh, and to be communicating with each other as performer and listener, as 
arranger, composer, listener. I've I've never considered the times that we're living in or anything other than just the music. While it is great for things to be coming out during this time or, you know, over the last 18 months that what we've all been going through, um, I've just, I've never considered anything other than the music. And hopefully when it arrives, people will uh, accept it. Hopefully they enjoy it. Uh, there's, you know, there's always going to be people who are going to say, gee, what, there was really no need to uh, look at Ellington a different way other than just listening to his records. So, um, eh, I don't know. It's, it, let's just put it this way, that the, the music that's been coming out um, is good for humanity. I agree. So, you know, you are obviously dedicated to the jazz craft. And you've been in music for a long, long time. How did these seeds begin for you? How did the the jazz seeds and the and the music seeds get in you? Well, I, I you know I tell people that I was probably sixty years old when I was born, uh, and, and an older soul. I was never a rock and roll guy. My parents weren't musicians, but there was usually music in the house, and because uh, my parents were of that generation that uh, grew up in the or was was born during the. My dad was born in 22, and my mom was born in 30. So uh, what I heard at home early on was uh, Tommy Dorsey and, and Ellington and Count Basie and Sinatra. And that just, from the beginning, uh, you know, when I was in elementary school into junior high school, that's the music that made sense to me and that I gravitated towards. So I've been listening to that for decades. What was the first live jazz show that you saw that really blew you away? I grew up in Redlands, California, and there's uh, uh, the Redlands Bowl, which is downtown Redlands, and uh, this would have been probably in 1965, and it was uh, Stan Kenton's Neophonic Orchestra that played during the summer in in Redlands, and um, you know he he was big on jazz education, and they for uh, many many years there was a uh, summer jazz camp at the University of Redlands with with Stan Ken's band. So that that would have been my first live exposure. Talk to me a little bit about your organization. You were, you had mentioned the, or the foundation that you have. Talk to me a little bit about how that began and what uh, what the motivation behind it is. Well, it was formed in uh, 19, 1998. We just wanted to be a place to be involved with the music, to archive materials, to present concerts. Uh, produce recordings, which which we have done. Uh, we have a fairly extensive archive of uh, of LPs, compact discs, uh, books, photographs, several collections. Uh, the trombonist Jimmy Nepper uh, left his all of his materials to the American Jazz Institute. The lyricist and author Gene Lees uh, left his materials, uh, recordings, interviews. This is we're coming up on 25 years fairly soon in a couple of years I guess so but over the last 20 years we we have a uh, we've run a large oral history interview program we you know like I mentioned we did the Ellington oral history uh, over a two day period and um, we had the Singers Unlimited as part of our oral history and I believe it was the last time the four of them were together 
And since then, um, Gene, uh, Gene Perling was also known as, as one of the, uh, one of the high lows and Len Dressler have both passed. But we, we've had, uh, for a nine year period, we were at the Claremont Colleges and we produced, uh, many, many concerts. Uh, Lee Konitz, Mark Turner was there, Sam Rivers trio, uh, just a whole lot of things. Very clearly, you are kind of a torchbearer for keeping the history of jazz alive. And what I'm always curious about whenever I run into musicians that kind of have this duality of, of, of being a practitioner and then being kind of a historical, you know, protector of it. Why is it so important? You know, I know the elders have kind of passed on this torch. It's, it's a very important um, invention, so to speak, of the Americas. Why do you see the what, – what, what's your motivation, like, even to keep this torch going with the younger folks? Why is it so important that we keep jazz alive? Well, you know, it's, it's referred to as, as America's uh, indigenous art form in many ways of saying it, but, but it, is, it is true. It's, it's a truly American thing that has been exported um, as well. It's just, you know, everything comes out of the, the tradition, and – um, no matter where we go with this music, um, there there has to be some ties to the tradition, um, and it's I mean that's important I think in any discipline. Uh, there has to be at least some knowledge. If you're going to be painting, or if you're going to be sculpting, you have to have some knowledge of what came before you, and um, apply. Uh, some of those principles to what you're doing. Well, that's beautiful. And, you know, over your career, you've received, you know, recognition and accolades. And I don't want to know what your favorite one was, but what kind of recognition did you receive that just threw you for a loop? You didn't expect it, and it just really kind of hit you in a special way. Well, just it's just somebody saying that they've enjoyed one of the records. Um, and, you know, it, it, our world is so small because of the – the jazz slice of the pie the me in the music world is is really minuscule compared to to everything all the other music um i don't know just somebody you know somebody that i respect whether i know them or not um and for lack of a better phrase we'll we'll call them a jazz elder uh that they've found something in one of the records that we've done that that has moved them in some way that's that would be an accolade that would be important to me. So very simply put, why do you love jazz? Well, I love jazz because mainly for the people who are playing it because in, you know, my world is, is just sitting by myself at a piano and uh, hoping to come up with something that, that is playable. It's the people playing it and to hear, I think Lee Konitz came up with the, the phrase, the sound of surprise and, or was that Ira Gittler? It's associated with, yeah. with Conus, but, um, you know, to be in a recording studio and have great musicians playing the music, um, and then there were, there's always surprises. And what you live for are those really good surprises that make the music much more than you thought it was going to be. So that's, that, that's it. That's, it's, it's the, the improvisers who are, putting their own stamp on whatever it is that's on the paper. So, you know, as we've mentioned and touched on, it's hard to 
avoid the elephant in the room, which is what we've lived through with COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, as the world wakes up and we get back to live music, what do you hope we all realize collectively about the power of live music, both musician and the audience? Well, just the need for it, uh, the the ability to, to communicate uh, and to move people in some way. That's the whole thing. Um, you know, and in music, we, with music, whether people, be the listener knows it or not, they're being uh, addressed emotionally and in just very basic terms. Uh, there's places in the music where the listener feels the sun is shining, the sun is coming out, or the sun is being covered up by clouds, or we've we've reached an arrival point in the music and a place to rest. It's just, it's all those basic emotions that we all feel as humans that are portrayed musically, and then the audience feels those things. Beautiful. So everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you're living your life. Who do you think you are? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is really an interesting interview. Nobody's ever asked me that before, probably because they're afraid to. <laughs> um, who am I? Uh, well, uh, first and foremost, I'm I'm trying to be a, a good person and take care of my lady friend and my mother, who is 91, and just, boy, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. You that's know, the I answer guess- in itself. I guess you would normally be paying $200 to somebody an hour and you'd be laying on a couch. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm hoping that we all get a little something out of it, you know? <laughs> right. I, I will I will tell you this, that uh, unless you have a, an enormous uh, colossal ego, we're all um, reticent in some ways about certain things and um, – you know, I, I, when I'm when I write music, and my goal is, you know, I want to be surrounded by great musicians with all kinds of experience. And my ultimate goal is that whatever I put in front of them is good enough for them to play, because there's 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 such a the high standard of musicianship and you never want to put something in front of them that isn't what is your absolute best at that very moment, what you can do. So that's maybe that's another answer of of who I am. Absolutely. It's onion layers for sure. Mark, thank you for opening up about the new album. Good luck with it and about your life and music. I really appreciate it. Many thanks. Many thanks. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in California, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Mark for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.